Welcome to Sanctus Church. We're so glad again that you are joining us, maybe for the first time or all over again. And welcome to this ongoing series out of the spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices. Now we're in week five. And as I've been sharing week after week, if spiritual gifts are the God-given place to serve, if spiritual gifts are the guaranteed place of power to serve from, just like Jesus did because Jesus himself used spiritual gifts, then spiritual practices are that guaranteed place of meeting with God. They become the vehicles to walk with God. They actually clear the space to create the environment to meet with God after we've met him personally, relationally through Jesus. Again, one wrote, the the disciplines or practices allow us to place ourselves before God so he can, here's the word, transform us. Now let's just stop as we get going. It's so easy to say the word transformation or transform, but listen to what the word means. Alteration, change, revolution, renovation, makeover, conversion. So as you practice these and meet the one in the environment that is being created, you will be altered, changed, revolutionized, renovated, made over, and converted. See, this this is not just some small little meeting. Over a long period of time, this is a full divine alteration. It's removing the old kingdom of the world and the flesh and the devil and making us more and more look like the kingdom of, of the Father that Jesus has given us. Now, so far, we've looked at Jesus as our model, week one. And again, if you weren't with us, please go back and listen to that. That's so critical. And then we've walked through the, con- the practices of, of prayer and confession and solitude and silence. Now, today, we're going to look at another critical spiritual practice for everyday people. Today, we're going to learn about and be invited into the practice of fasting. Some of you are like, oh, I need this practice because I've been sitting in isolation for eight weeks and eating so much. I just need this. I have loved during this COVID-19 moment, all the memes about that. Now you might be watching the sermon years from now and you're, you're not even relating to this, but right now I saw a great meme the other day of Mona Lisa, the famed Mona Lisa and what she looked like at the beginning and then how overweight she was by the end of quarantine and isolation. Or the best one was of course, Thor. Uh, Many of you know that out of the Marvel film, and everyone said, oh, we all looked like originally like the original Thor. And then by the second last movie and the last movie, we now look like him. Now, my wife has assured me I've never looked like either Thor and both are probably a little better looking. But the point is what we need to catch is what is fasting? What is it not? Fasting is not a hunger strike. Though people do hunger strikes appropriately sometimes to fight for justice, that is not what a biblical fast is, nor is fasting to lose weight. Fasting, this is not Weight Watchers for Jesus or Jenny Craig for Jesus. That's not wrong, by the way. It's not what this is. The other thing we need to realize is almost every person we want to emulate in the Bible did fast. Moses, David, Esther, Daniel, Jesus, Paul, etc. all fasted. Now, I looked at so many authors and so many different definitions, but two of them stood out to me. One's really broad. And one's more specific and it helps us even more. So let me read both of them to you. The first one reads like this. Fasting is the voluntary abstention from an otherwise normal function, most often eating for the sake of intense spiritual activity. Fasting 
sets the environment to walk with God. It sets the stage to engage in other spiritual practices. It clears the ground, for example, to pray. It pairs so well with solitude and silence. But as I was reading, a guy named Scott McKnight, who wrote a book on fasting, actually helped even more. He said fasting is a response to a grievous, sacred moment. And contact with the sacred ought to transform us. The rule to follow is simple. Uh, Fasting, like all spiritual disciplines, is designed to develop love for God and love for others. If it's not doing that, something is wrong. Now, as I kept reading and, and listening to him, what really struck me was this. Fasting can be proactive. That is, to get something... But most of the times, fasting is reactive. It's not to get something, but it's responding to something or responding to someone. Now, if you read the Bible, fasting was a spiritual practice done both personally and also done in community. Fasting, in most cases, was done in response to huge events. Good events, godly events, exciting events, celebratory events, deadly events, crisis. But here's what we've got to sort of reorient our mind. Almost all fasting was reactive in response to something. Most times, if you've grown up in church, I know some of you haven't, but we who have, when you think about fasting, it's to get something. I want to be real serious in my prayer life and fast to get that thing. But actually, most fasting in the Bible was happening after the event or during the event. And this was a huge change in my thinking. Yes, there was fasting in the calendar, There was only one major fast within the Jewish rhythm of life that was yearly. There were other fast days, but this was the most consistent one. It's connected to the day of atonement when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle or the temple and they'd walk in and they would atone. They would sacrifice for the sins of a whole nation. And on that day, all of Israel would fast. Were there other fast days? Like I said, yes, but this was the most consistent regular one. But as people kept fasting over generations on the Day of Atonement and other fast days, as it was done quietly and slowly, motives began to shift and change. These so-called sacred events moved from times of interceding or, or, or times of confession, and they started moving towards self-promotion. So people would start putting on a show, would declare they were fasting to the world by being unwashed or not showering or being unkept or sprinkling ash over their head. And the motive and the goal was to look for people's reactions. Fasting fasting became the religious Instagram moment to draw attention to yourself and God, well, he's nowhere to be found. Look at me. Oh, no, 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 I'm fasting. Look at me. I'm so much more dedicated than you are. Look, I'm pleasing God. See how much I'm suffering for God. Look at me. I'm only drinking water. But you, you are drinking orange juice during your fast. You're so weak and so uncommitted. If you were more like me, you'd be so much closer to God. See, God likes me more. And that's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, so the the manifesto of our movement, addresses that very issue. It says in Matthew 6, 16, Jesus says, when you fast. Oh, okay, hold on. Not if you fast, when you fast. Jesus expects us as followers to fast. Okay, let's just stop before we keep going. Let's be honest. Many of us have never 
fasted as a spiritual practice. Many of us maybe have fasted for medical reasons or to lose weight or we're so busy we forgot to eat that day. But that's not what we're talking about here. So if you want to be like Jesus, to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, then we're called into the spiritual practice of fasting. This is actually part of a normal Christian life. And yet, Jesus says, when you're doing the expected, the normal, you need to stop, drop, and roll and ask, why am I doing this? See, motives are the ball game when it comes to all spiritual practices. Listen to Jesus, Matthew 6, 16. So when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show people they're fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Jesus says, if you do it for the wrong reason, even if you do it right, you'll receive your full reward down here. Now, let's just let that sit. Let that heaven-given statement come so very close to your heart today, no matter who you are. Ask the question that probably most of us don't want. If you want real transformation, you've got to ask why you're doing the thing. So when you fast or when you serve or when you give money or when you pray or when you preach or when you lead worship or when you prayed for healing or or when you post that thought or that verse on Instagram, when you do anything for God, why are you really doing that thing? Did you do it to feel better about yourself? Did you do it so people would respect you? Did you do it so people would like you? Did you actually do it so people would follow you? Did you do it uh, so people would admire you? Did you do it out of duty? Did you do it to deal with insecurity because actually you're not sure if you're that good? See what I'm doing for God. See how tough it is, how, how much I'm doing. See how much I marked. Then, right then, your reward will be given to you. You got what you wanted, people's respect or approval or self-gratification or elevation in the community. You got what you wanted, the look, the love, the security, the identity boost. But if you do that, it will have no eternal reward. It won't ripple into eternity. See, the act of fasting, actually any godly thing can look right, ready, can even be done right, ready, can even have positive kingdom results but will have no reward for you in eternity if the motives are wrong. I mean, it's actually what God said near the end of the Old Testament in the book of Zechariah, chapter seven, verse five. Ask all the people of the land and their priests, when you fasted on and mourned in the fifth and seven months for the past, ready, 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? Did you do it just because it was tradition? Did you do it because it was the right thing to do? But did you fast to meet with me? Did you do it for me? It's always about the why. We discovered this in a few series ago. At the end of time, everything we do will be judged by Jesus. We will be tested. That was in the Great Divide series where we talked about judgment, heaven, and hell. And this part of the conversation is not about salvation. This is actually saying that every single Christian, everything they did will be tested by God. Remember, we heard about this in that last series, 1 Corinthians 3.12. If any person builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hay, straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light, the judgment day. 
It's going to be revealed by fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what they did, if they did build, what they built survives, they receive reward from God. If it's burned up, they're going to suffer loss. They will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So everything we do for God, even if it has positive effect at the end of time is going to be judged by Jesus. It's going to be tested by fire, just like gold or silver is. And all the impurities are going to burn out. And like I shared in that last sermon and before, I know there are so many sermons that on judgment day are going to burn. So many prayer times, so many times I was hearing confession, so many times I was worshiping, all those things will burn because I didn't do it for the right reasons. I did it so people would like me or I I wanted to prove something or I wanted people to love me. Well, it's going to burn. So back to the text, Matthew 6, 17. But when you fast, not if, put oil on your head and wash your face. This was the makeup of their day. This was prepping for the day. Wash your face, have a shower, brush your teeth, put on the clothes you would have put on anyway and go about your day just like it was a normal day. Why? So you will not be tempted to lose eternal reward. So you will not set yourself up to sin. He says in verse 18, so it's not going to be obvious to people that you're fasting, but only to your father who's unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. God the father is present In all situations. He knows all and he will never forget anything and he will reward you. And never forget that his rewards way outlast what we could get down here. Now we need to pause because that word secret actually brings us into another spiritual practice rarely talked about in churches. It's the it's the spiritual practice of biblical secrecy. Here's how one defined it. Secrecy is consciously refraining from having our good deeds and qualities generally known, which in turn rightly disciplines our longing for recognition. What? In this culture? One wrote, there's two things that you got to think about. We may take steps to prevent our acts from being known if it does not involve deceit. You can't lie. (laughs) And number two, we experience a stronger relationship with God independent of the opinions of others. I mean, this, okay, this is massive. In our competitive, resume-driven, social media posting world, Jesus says, oh, by the way, what you do for me genuinely and you don't promote yourself, you'll get more reward. Now, why in the world would we even choose this? Because we want eternal reward. We want God to be our audience. I love years ago when Dallas Willard wrote this, the desperate attempt for people to advertise themselves is truly unbelief. For it reveals they need the attention of others and not God. Now, Jesus said, he writes this, a city and a hill cannot be hidden, Matthew 5, 14. So we will not be hidden when we do our acts unto God. But secrecy, rightly practiced, enables us to place, I love this, our public relations department entirely in the hands of God. So this is not saying you never do anything publicly for God. That's crazy, actually. 16 out of the New Testament references to fasting, eight of them are actually all in public. Almost every single Old Testament fasting moment was done in community too. So what Jesus is driving at is this. Secrecy is not literally hiding somewhere and never doing anything publicly. It's actually trusting God to promote you if he wants to. But you're doing the acts appropriately. See, the goal is why are you doing this? For God? 
to make space to pray, to, to show off, to be spiritually known for others. We are called into the practice of fasting and we're called to practice biblical secrecy while we do all these things. Okay, now so far we've answered if we should fast and why we should fast, Jesus commands it. But now the great question begins to come forward. Our questions is, well, when do you fast and, and how? Okay, well, first of all, let's talk about the when. I found six different biblical reasons why you should fast. Ready? Here we go. Number one, fasting and prayer are key when facing important decisions. We see this time and time again. Acts 13.2, when they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Fasting sets the environment to worship and pray and listen to see if God wants to say anything. Number two, fasting happens in response to crisis. I mean, what an interesting moment for us to be talking about fasting in our world right now. The story of Esther is a great biblical example. There was a genuine coming Holocaust where hundreds of thousands of Jews might be slaughtered. This is an all or nothing moment. And Esther is married to the king, the only one who could actually deal with this decree. So what happens? Well, Esther 4.15, Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather all the Jews who live in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or, or three nights. I, my maids, will fast and do the same. When it is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I die, I die. So Esther shows us when there's a crisis, we fast before God. The third time we fast is when sin is exposed in our life. It's sort of like this repentive, humbling moment. We just did the story of Jonah. Uh, and if you're joining us for the first time, uh, the, they're, they're going to put up the series on the side in the chat right there. And you can go back and listen to that series. But when Jonah went in chapter three, if you read it, it says Jonah went, right? And he, he, he preached that God was going to judge Nineveh. In 40 days, it was going to be overturned. And, and verse five says this, the Ninevites believed God and a fast was proclaimed. From the greatest to the least, they all put on sackcloth. And at the end, the king says in verse nine, who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so we do not perish. And verse 10 was the critical one. When God saw what they did, they're fasting. Oh, and when they turned from their evil ways. See, fasting doesn't manipulate God. And they repented. Then he relented and did not bring destruction that he had threatened. So when, we're, when God exposes our sin, that's a time where we fast. Here, here's the fourth place we fast. Fasting and prayer is connected to spiritual conflict. When we're facing down supernatural evil, fasting and prayer is always found. One of the best examples is out of the book of Daniel. And it says in Daniel 10 too, at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat, no wine, touched my lips. I used no lotions until the three weeks were over. And while he was in this fasting moment, it says an angel showed up and talked to him. And verse 12 says, the angel says to, to Daniel, don't be afraid. Since the very first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and humbled yourself before God, your words were heard. And I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom, that's like a demonic being, resisted me for 21 days. Then Michael, that's an archangel, one of the chief princes came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. And you can read the whole story that there's this whole heavenly battle. But the point is, Daniel was fasting and praying for supernatural breakthrough. And what was happening down here was affecting up there. 
We talked about this last week when we were exploring solitude and silence. When, when Jesus first overcame the devil, it was in the wilderness. Well, he was what? Fasting. Here's the fifth place we fast. Fasting is in response to when we encounter Jesus in a profound way. Do you remember the story of Saul? He was there at the murder of the very first Christian, Stephen. He was throwing us in jail. And what happened at his moment where he realized that Jesus was the Messiah, was the fulfillment of the Jewish faith, actually was everything he was looking for, but he was looking in the wrong direction. Acts 9.9, meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against Jesus' disciples. And then he goes to Damascus, verse 3. He nears Damascus on his journey. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus. Whoa. Who you're persecuting? And then Jesus says to this world-class scholar, this Orthodox rabbi, he says, now you go and get up and, and go into the city. I'm going to tell you what to do. And verse nine is the critical thing. For three days, Saul was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. Much of the time when we have a profound encounter with God, fasting is the only response we've got. Here's the sixth reason why we fast. We want to break through into God's palpable presence. God's omnipresent. We as Christians have access to God's throne room at any time. We're his, we're his kids. Like, like I was describing in my connect group the other day, my children have every right to jump into my bed and run into my bedroom at any time because they're my kids. If a stranger did that, whoa, 911 moment, totally weird, totally inappropriate, dangerous. We're, we're God's kids if you're a Christian. You have access to God's throne room because of the blood of Jesus. You can walk in there. But sometimes when we want to demonstrate or long or want to be closer to him, homesickness is maybe a good phrase. We, we fast. One of the most simple, raw, exposing thoughts on fasting and homesickness was penned by John Piper and, and it's just, it's, it's so good. And I, I would like everyone just to quiet for a moment and listen to this. He said, half of Christian fasting is that our physical appetite is lost because of our homesickness for God is so intense. The other half is that our homesickness for God is threatened because our physical appetites are so intense. In other words, if you're a Christian and you've never been homesick to the point where you want to be with Jesus more than everything you own or who you are related to or what you have, you probably need to fast. If you've never said, I want to be away from the body and a home with the Lord, I just want to be with Jesus, then that actually shows you that you want him for salvation, but relationally you don't, you love him, but you know what I'm saying? Fasting also reminds us that we are threatened. Our relationship with God is threatened when good things become too large. Okay, so that's why, that's when, but what does it actually look like? Now, if you read all the accounts of the Bible fasting, fasting accounts, Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, summarizes them in three simple ways. It's great. He calls it a normal fast, a partial fast, an absolute fast. A normal fast involves just not eating food, solid or liquid, uh, but you can drink water. 
That's what we see with Jesus in the wilderness. So that's what a normal fast is. Uh, nothing but water. <laughs> a partial fast we see in Daniel, right? I, I didn't have choice meat. I didn't have wine. In other words, you restrict your diet. This is also where a lot of people give up other things like, oh, I'm not going to be on social media for a month. I'm going to fast for that. And when I'd usually be scrolling, I'm going to pray. Or I'm not going to watch Netflix or, or Prime or Disney Plus from 9.30 to 10 for the next week. Instead of doing that at night, I'm going to do my devotions then. So that's a partial fast. And then the absolute fast, which by the way, you should never do unless it's really divinely instructed. God has told you. An absolute fast is no water, no food. And you can only do that for three days. And after three days, you will start damaging your body and you might possibly die. So those are the three styles. Some of those are more extreme. Some of those you can integrate into your life every single day or, or every single week. Now, then the question is, well, what does fasting do and what does fasting not do? Let's come back to this. There are four things. Number one, you cannot control God through fasting. We, we've got we to face this down. I think I said it in week one. God doesn't go, oh my goodness, John, you've caught me off guard. I'm going to change my mind on everything you've been talking to me about because you have fasted for 20 days. And I used to listen to you like this, but my ear is so much closer to you now because I'm so impressed with your, no, 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 no. Fasting isn't some key that opens some special door to manipulate God. Never, never. It's putting us in his presence just to be with him and hear what he wants to do. I love when Scott McKnight wrote, we don't fast to get something from God. We fast to express ourselves to God more completely. Fasting is a gift for God, not some attempt to get a credit card from him. See, fasting tied with secrecy or prayer or solitude or silence or confession becomes incredible. It brings everything that you are to God. Second, I just need to do this again. Fasting nor any other spiritual discipline does not save you. In other words, you don't do fasting plus confession plus solitude and silence and they all add up and God goes, wow, you've been so good and I'm so impressed with you. Now you get to know me. No, no, Ephesians 2, it, it is by grace, an undeserved gift that you have been saved through faith, informed trust in who? Jesus. This is never from, ready, yourself. It's always a gift of God. It's never by works, including spiritual practices so no one gets to boast but there are amazing benefits to fasting i mean we know that medically of course doctors tell us that fasting can be good for your body and for your mind and that's all true and important but remember what we're really talking about here fasting helps us in two critical areas and again it was richard foster who helped me when he wrote this number one he says fasting reveals the things that control us he said, we tend to cover up what's inside us with food and other good things, good things. But fasting brings these things to the surface like that. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear. If they're in us, they're going to surface while you fast. At first, we're going to rationalize our anger, for example, because we're saying, oh, no, 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 I'm so hungry. That's why I'm angry. But then we'll discover the anger is not there because we're hungry. It's not hangry. Huh. But actually, we already had an anger issue beforehand. But then he says, but we can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. Anyone want to post amen anywhere? <laughs> Here's the other thing. Fasting helps us keep balance in our life. 
how easily we can begin to let good things that God has designed or created to become controlling in our life and almost become idols. Paul addresses really well in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by what? Anything. Now we talked through this passage and all of 1 Corinthians in that series called The The Devoted Ones. You can listen to the podcast. The pastor's on the side chat. They're going to put it up right now. You can access it. Amazing. Now Paul at this moment in 1 Corinthians 6 is actually dealing with sex. And Paul was saying, yes, as a Christian, you're free in Jesus. Yes, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone, and you're not going to hell. But you can't just do anything you want. Now you're free. Just because you've got coverage doesn't mean you can act any way you want. Your salvation has to be worked out. And he says, you cannot be controlled or mastered by anything, even if it's God-given. He says, I will not be owned by anything. Just because God created something and it's good does not mean it can become dangerous. It will become dangerous if you're not careful. It could become an idol. You can abuse it. It could own us. So using the example of sex, Paul says, sex is powerful. And sex is a gift. And sex is not dirty, and sex is good, and sex is great, and, and it's fine, and it's even pleasurable, and it's for procreation, but if it controls you, oh, 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 hold on. Sex, he says, can become a dictator that controls your life, thoughts, actions, which brings pain, destruction, fear, shame, and guilt. The good gift can become misused and produce the very bad. And of course, as we found it in the Devoted One series, all these people are like, I'm free in Jesus. Jesus doesn't care about my body. It's only about my soul. And he says, oh, that's so wrong. You're going to be resurrected. Your body does matter. You can't use it any way you want. Actually, God is the creator. He sets the boundaries. But his point is this. I will not be controlled by anything. The act of fasting reveals what might control us, even if they're good things. Lastly, fasting is a declaration that all I am is for the kingdom of God. It's almost like a gift of God saying, I just want to show you I'm in. I love you. I love you. So as we come to the end of this, I mean, there's a lot to process and we need to work this through. Number one, let's talk about biblical secrecy. Whose reward do you want? Like, for real. Uh, Why do you do what you do? (laughs) I've mentioned this before. In 2011, I had a a very life-changing encounter with Jesus. And it lasted for an extended period. I'm still not the same in a good way. But one of the byproducts I don't think I've ever uh, publicly talked about was this. When I had those series uh, of encounters with Jesus, when I went to go post things on social media, I found myself not wanting to. And I, I I didn't know why. And as I began to dissect the moment, I realized the Holy Spirit was confronting me and saying so much of the reason why I post things was to compete with other pastors, to look important, to have people look at me as an expert or wanting to fulfill some need like more likes equals more love. And so every time for a whole, well, for an extended period, I posted nothing at all. And and then when I started reposting later, I got in this rhythm of using biblical secrecy of actually saying, Lord, are you okay if I post this? Am I doing this for you or for me? Am I doing this to promote me or help your kingdom? And, And it changed everything. The posting's not wrong. Posting a verse on Instagram or posting something, it's fine. But why? 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 And here's the deeper thing. If you really want to see the kingdom of God explode in your life to grow, 
then put your public relations department entirely in the hands of God. Can you imagine if you decided that God could promote you or not promote you? I'm not saying you can't have a resume. I'm not saying you can't apply for a job. But can you imagine if you literally lived your life, I lived my life, where we said, God, you can raise me up or bring me down. You're the audience, no one else. I mean, I think we could sit with that for a year. Biblical secrecy, do you practice it? Have you thought about it? How could you put it in your life this week? The other simple thing is try fasting. <laughs> anytime, any style, anyway. Start small. Some of you are like, I'm going to fast for 40 days. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Learn. It's a discipline. It's a practice. It's a holy habit. Begin to do it. But remember, fasting clears the space. It, it sets the table to sit and eat with Jesus, even though you're not eating. <laughs> you say, well, I'm not sure if I need to. Okay, well, just write this down. Are you, are you facing an important decision? You should fast. Are you dealing with a crisis? You should fast. Has sin been exposed in your life? You should fast. Are you dealing with spiritual warfare? You should fast. Have you encountered God in a new way or a more profound way or a more real way? You, you should fast. Are you homesick for Jesus? You should fast. Are you not homesick for Jesus and you actually like this life more than him? Oh, you, you should fast. Are you willing just to give him a gift, just to not earn anything, not do anything out of weird duty or religiosity, just to say, hey, I love you. I just, I want to give you this gift. It's sort of like when my kids give me Father's Day gifts or we're going to give, you know, today, we're going to give Mother's Day gifts, like, or we did last week. Like, this is what we do. This is what we do. It's just saying, God, I, I want to give you this gift. Fasting can start small. A lunch, uh, a television show, uh, an hour here or there, but it can grow. And as we see, Jesus says, not if you fast, when you fast. Jesus is inviting us into two things, to spend more time with him and meet with him. That's pretty amazing, the source of contentment. And Jesus is inviting us into biblical secrecy. And watch this, ready? And I'm, I'm done here. Not just so we don't make other things idols, because he actually wants us to have more reward in eternity. What, a, what an amazing invitation. So, uh, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, one true living God, uh, thank you so much for this conversation. And I pray that, first of all, Father and Son, you'd send the Holy Spirit across all of Sanctus Church and beyond Sanctus Church to others listening. And you'd begin to show us where we need to be biblically secretive about what we're doing or why we're doing. You begin to clean motives so there'd be great reward. And I pray you'd teach people and invite all of us into fasting to pray, to listen, to learn, to be encouraged. Invite us into this moment, we ask. And we pray this in Jesus' name, who modeled this best for us. And we all said, amen. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today.